So, welcome to the Energy On Show. And here, everything revolves around your life energy. Because your energy is the key to your dream life. I'm Cornelia Kava, and today I have an extraordinary guest for an interview. And this is uh, Derek Lodermilk. And uh, I met um, Derek, I think, half a year ago. And uh, I'm really kind of fascinated <laughs> by what he is doing. And from my perspective, he's kind of really a multidimensional person. Yeah, I have uh, never, ever met somebody like you. You are doing so many things. And um, you're kind of what I really like most of you is that you are so open and so interested in learning new things and new and achieving new skills you know, every day. And that, that's really fascinating. And uh, so for, for all those um, who don't know you that well, um, uh, you know, you call yourself a professional adventurer, which I think is really just a, such a cool description. <laughs> and um, because uh, you traveled like 40 countries, you lived in them. Um, part of them with your family, your digital nomad. You worked all over the all over the world. Wow, that sounds really cool. And um, you're also, you know, really deep diving in the quantum field. You're really an expert there, and uh, you're a quantum business coach, and um, also kind of a best-selling author for the Super Connector, which I really love. Uh, really love. And you run also the Derek Lodermilk show. And uh, there are up to 382 episodes right now, or even more, right? I hope I didn't miss the newest one. <laughs> so welcome, Derek. And I'm so grateful you're here, really excited. And um, today's topic, in a way, will be telepathy. So welcome, Derek. Well, Cornelia, thank you for having me. Great to, great to see you again. I always enjoy talking with you, and uh, what a wonderful introduction. Appreciate it. Thank you. And you know, the, um, the idea of the, um, speaking about telepathy, because of course, if you look at it from the quantum perspective, everything is energy, so also our thoughts and our emotions are energy, and that's why telepathy is really, you know, communicating in a way with, uh, with energy. And um, I'm really fascinated by it. And I think everybody already experienced it. But most of the time, we are not so, you know, 100% aware of it. It's telepathy. And, you know, uh, in a way, it, telepathy is you, you know, communicating between two people, like, or even you know, like regarding the feelings and the minds without using the, the five senses, uh, the five human senses, like tasting, smelling, and touching, and seeing or viewing and or hearing and I think it's really fascinating and uh, you told me that you're you just are running um, a course on telepathy with uh, together with Dieter Young and um, so I really would love to to hear more about it you know what uh, why did you start this course can you share with us yeah, this is this is really exciting, and we're we're just kind of wrapping up our first run through. We trained twenty eight people in telepathy, and they've all experienced telepathy. Um, which I mean, we knew beforehand. Everyone has access to telepathy. It's a natural human, uh, it's, you know, part of who who we are. But it's so cool to see people experience it for the first time. 
because the, you know, and it's, it can be very simple things that you experience at first. Uh, it's something that, you know, as you train, you can get better at, but people, right. The very first day we just had like, here's a picture of Michael Jackson and here's, here's, yeah, here's a picture of Michael Jackson. He is like a very dynamic picture. He's, you know, wearing black and white with a red background and people would just write down what they perceived, but they're perceiving, um, right. The color, you know, is it a man or is it a woman? Um, what is there, is there action going on in the photograph? Is there, um, how's this person feeling? Um, what is their, what is their role in the world? How's their health? You know, there's, you're perceiving all different kinds of things, some of which are the main, the five senses, right? How, how, what does it, what does it look like? What does it smell like where he is? Um, so that's actually kind of a good way of training is like, whenever you enter a room, just kind of sensing what the room feels like. What is it? Uh, what's the vibe? What's the ambiance of the room? Uh, but also, you know, observing, like, I see there's a bookcase in the back of the room. I see there's Christmas lights on, you know, various things that you could pick up, which are important to sort of note if you're taking notes about what you're, what you're receiving. Because uh, if you're, if you're doing the kind of thing where you can validate it, that's where the science comes in, where you can actually check how accurate is this information. So if you're, if you're doing like a medical scan of a pet, right, you can just look, oh yeah, he had surgery on his, uh, his leg or he, you know, uh, has a skin rash or whatever. So there's, there's things you can verify, but then the things like the person's emotional state, if it's a photograph of Michael Jackson, who's no longer with us, it's harder to verify his emotional state. Right. So that information is kind of like, maybe it's accurate. Maybe it's not, we don't, we don't know for sure. Um, but the really cool thing about it is that, yeah, you can, <clears throat> you can validate a lot of what you're getting. So you can improve your accuracy over time. You can go from 80% accurate as a beginner up to 99% accurate, you know, as a seasoned practitioner, which is, which is amazing. Wow. That sounds really great. And I think that's exactly what your work, what I think what is so valuable on, on your work is that you really are bridging this, um, you know, spiritual or you know sometimes it's called esoteric world with science because i think this is so so important because most of us are they are brought up in the world of newton yeah if you can't touch it if you can't feel it and can't measure it it doesn't exist yeah and but now with quantum science it's you know it's it's already proven that that there is much more around us even if we don't see and and, and can touch it but it's still it's it's very important for people to have them scientific proof and uh, I think that's exactly what what you kind of also trying to to bring to people yeah you can use it and then you can cross check yeah if you're right yeah I don't know if you saw and I haven't read the actual paper but the Nobel Prize in physics that was just awarded uh where it basically says uh local local reality is not real that is and until you observe it, it uh it's in the waveform and then so it's like behind the door the door to my room like doesn't exist until I open the door and and view it, which is incredible. Um, yes, and you know, and like... did you know that uh, that um, I think there are two people who won the Nobel Prize, and one of them is uh, for Professor Anton Zeilinger, and he's Austrian. Okay, and I'm you... I'm from Austria as well, so of course he's my oh, really? hero. <laughs> oh, cool, excellent. Yeah, I'll have to dive into that because that's that's significant. I think probably something to talk about you know, to the, to the broader 
world about because um, basically it says you know I've always said for a long time uh, the material world the physical that we perceive is the byproduct of consciousness and <clears throat> you know as an entrepreneur for example uh, if you have an idea, first it's an idea, and then eventually it becomes the actual reality in front of you. It becomes the the course that you launch, but first it was this non-physical thing. Um, yes. And so, but but thinking about like everything here, right? Like, what's really a crazy idea is if you if you go out of your house, if you walk around, everything is a museum. Like it was all built in the past. It's like all the buildings and the streets and the cars they're all museum pieces that, that somebody had an idea and then they built them. So it's like a museum of creativity. It's like a museum of how the physical world was created. And it's once the car is created, once the building is created, then it exists in our collective awareness. And we keep agreeing that that building is there, but that's, but that's because we're all holding it in our collective reality creation together. And we could easily decide to change it. And so there's a gravity to collective consciousness in a way. Um, there's this famous uh, experiment where uh, astronauts were practicing psychic abilities and as they left earth, their psychic abilities improved because of they were escaping the gravitational field of the consciousness uh, here on earth, which is, which is a fantastic experiment. Wow, I didn't know about that. But you know, what you're saying in a way is or put in another question, uh, other angle, you know, if you want to change that what we are perceiving, you know, what would be kind of the minimum share of consciousness, uh, of uh, general consciousness, that we, you know, how many people would need to agree to look at this in a different way? How many people would it need to change reality? Yeah. And so what's, what's interesting, like a percentage or probably about 50 or something. Uh, I've heard that it's the square root of 1% uh, needed to, huh. so there's this, this thousand monkeys, hundred monkeys, I can't remember the name of it, but it's like once a hundred monkeys learn something, then all monkeys know it all across the world. It's like, you've seen, you know, things like flight or the printing press or the, you know, whatever invented in multiple places around the world kind of simultaneously. And it's this collective raising in awareness that allows the you know the creativity or the invention to to come through um and so that's why you know i was um i have a brother-in-law we were just visiting them we just uh just flew in from california and he's in law enforcement and basically we were we had this debate about you know how to end war or how to end the drug problem and i was like you have to have enough people shift their consciousness that they don't want to go to war, that they don't want to do, to make money doing drugs. And basically his, his viewpoint and the, the law enforcement in general is like, you just have to like play whack-a-mole and you have to keep stopping them. And then, you know, a new, a new uh, drug cartel rises up or whatever. And that's, it's going to keep happening that way until it just, we no longer want that as a, as a collective, for example. Okay, but you know, most of the time there is a reason behind it. You know, that's at least that's how I look at um, at, uh, at energy work. You know, if something is there, there is a reason behind it. And if you want to eliminate the symptoms or or, or or the result, then you kind of kind of first have to remove the the cause of it or the root. 
So would you see it like for just speaking now about this drug issue? Do you think there is kind of a collective um, root why it's still there? And if we remove this one would be removed, then there wouldn't be a, any drug issue anymore? I mean, I think that, so it's an easy way to earn money for a lot of these people, more money that you can earn any other way. But what the, the root of needing to earn money is the root of, uh, I'm afraid I'm not going to have enough, or this is the only, this is the only pathway I have towards survival. And that is a symptom of separation, right? It's like, if you somehow believe that you're not connected to the infinite, then then you may have these beliefs that that you don't have enough and you'll you'll do whatever it takes. So there's the the consciousness shift is this sort of realization of interbeingness. And we could almost start with language. We could start with the difference between saying like you and I, you know, we identify as people, as persons, as individual beings. But what I find fascinating about the Native Americans is that they identify each uh, tree, each rock, each mountain as a person as well. That's not really in our European Western languages. We kind of create this separation. So in your mind, you think, oh, the world is separate from me. And so it's almost just the lens of uh, how we're viewing things um, as like in, in identifying individually, like you're a separate person and this tree is not a person at all. Um, that shaped our whole thinking and if we can sort of re reimagine how we even just think and speak about who who we are to each other would would be a place to start i think mm -hmm. well yeah i fully agree that uh, kind of you know there is probably no real world because we all have our own world uh, that's the way you know because of all our beliefs and things we have learned and and our thoughts uh, that's the way we we filter everything that is coming to us. So at least uh, that's the way uh, I I see it. And you know, the only way to change something is also to change uh, your filter because then you it's it's still the same thing, but you're just looking at it from a different angle, and uh, that's why it has a different meaning and impact for you. Yeah, the filter filter is so important, and um, you know, just before this call. Um, uh, a friend of mine posted on Facebook um, that she is thinking about ending her life. And so I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is serious. This is um, pretty intense. And um, so I, you know, so I like arrived on that call with like a little bit of my attention on, on this person. And oh. we, we are cycling teammates. We go riding together and we have, a, we have a wonderful time when we're out riding bikes and she seems like she's enjoying life so much, but there's something about her filter that makes her interpret the amazing things. Like she has a lot of friends. She has a successful career. She's a, a Mars Rover engineer. You know, she's a, in exciting projects, right? So her life is really cool, but somehow she's put this filter on where she interprets everything that I see as great is terrible for her. And it, so it's, um, yeah, it really does highlight the importance of the filter to me. And there's actually, you may have heard of this, there's an incredible tool for working with your filter like one piece at a time, which is uh, Ho'oponopono, which is this yeah. Hawaiian mm -hmm. forgiveness prayer. 
And so whatever is bothering you about the world, uh, let's say it's war, or let's just say you don't have enough money, or let's say, you know, my friend who is having a trouble with her filter, there's some aspect of my own consciousness of my own filter that's impacting that. So what I can do, because it's hard to be like, I'm just going to stop war because there's so many other people involved in making sure that continues, but you can clean up a certain part of yourself that is forgive a certain part of your own psyche that contributes to war. So again, there's, there's something about war and you'd have to figure out what it is for you individually, or there's something about hopelessness with my friend that you have to figure out what it is that lives in you that you can clean up and forgive and get rid of. So it's, um, please forgive me. I'm sorry. Thank you. I love you. Not necessarily in that order, in any order. Um, but it's like loving that, that piece of you that, that feels like you want to give up or feels like you want to take over somebody else or, or whatever it is. Um, and that's the best thing you can do is, is actually forgive that within yourself. And you're basically cleaning up the whole of humanity while you, while you do that. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, I love I love it, Ho'oponopono too, and using it quite quite often. And as you said, you know, whatever you use, uh, you know, doing for yourself, you are, you know, or yeah, healing for yourself. You also heal in a in a way for your in your ancestor line. Yeah, you know, it's also for for your kids and also for for the whole mankind. And so and I think that's uh, so. When you heal something in yourself, you do it also for the others. And when you do it for somebody else, you also, you know, heal something in yourself. And I think that this reciprocity is really is so powerful when you're aware of it. Yeah. So uh, I like that uh, very much. But they, uh, no, I just wanna uh, don't wanna dig into it. But you know, are you gonna contact your your friend afterwards? And uh... yeah, so she, um, I helped her move to a nice new apartment an amazing brand new apartment. And um, so some people are going to go over there and check on her. Uh, people have called her work. Um, so, okay. I, so it, yeah, in, in the five minutes that I was sort of looking online, it, it appears lots of people are on it, but, um, and I tried to call her, but she didn't pick up. So I'll keep you posted. Hopefully. Yes, definitely. Thank you. She's, Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, keep the fingers crossed. And but it's good that you know she has kind of a net, and uh, uh, as you said, she has a lot of friends, so she's she's not alone. But it's always the way how you perceive it uh, yourself. But maybe yeah, it helps her to to shift her her filter. Wow. Well, thank yeah, you very you much know, for sharing. I, I want to relay this um, this great analogy about psychedelics, and I I feel like she could benefit from some psychedelics therapy, but um, this person was describing uh, your mind as a snow-covered hill. And and as you go sledding down a hill or skiing down a hill, you, you go in the one track, you know, on a fresh, fresh hill. But then as you go over again and again, and these are your thoughts, they become more likely to follow the same tracks down. And then uh, something like a psilocybin mushroom, will come along and it be a fresh snowfall. So, so instead of having to follow all the same grooves of thought, yes. especially the ones that make you depressed, then all of a sudden you have a fresh hill to make a new track. And there's um, neuroplasticity uh, is, is really benefited from this. But if you're in a thought groove, 
then you keep creating reality the same way. And you just, you need to get a new thought groove. And the hard way is just being super right through meditation, through being really aware of what your thoughts are, observing them, realizing that that's not you, and then changing your thoughts, which is a long-term, right? You have to do that for months or years to be effective. Yes. Or, or you can, you know, take some psychedelics and get a fresh coat of snow and, and maybe you like kickstart the process a little more smoothly. <laughs> so kind of, that's kind of the shortcut. Yes. And these, you know, these tools are really powerful. So they're not to be messed around with. Um, yes. The, one of my mentors says, if you want to play with power, you have to have power. And when we're talking about power that is like some people have a lot of power to create reality it's much easier for them to affect the whole the collective because they're so uh impeccable right they're they're in a constant love vibration they're really connected with the with the whole the source so they can manifest like you know there's there's saints that can make gems appear in their hands or flowers or whatever or teleport or, or any of these things um, because they're so connected. So they have much more what we would call personal power to change the whole. And if you don't have, if you're, if you're in a state of shame or fear or something like that, you have almost no personal power because you've just leaked it. You've leaked it all out and you can't affect reality at all. Yeah. But I think, I think we're probably everybody has uh, her or his power, but most of um, most of us, yeah, as you said, we we don't know how to use it. We are not aware of it, and uh, or it's just you know drained um, by yeah, by vibrating on low emotions. But I think in in general, you know, we all kind of have energy. We can work with it, and um, but most of uh, of us are not aware of it. Yeah, if you so everyone is is connected all the way back. Like think of a fractal pattern, right? You're you're connected back to the whole, um, which we call our, our seniority, right? How much of your seniority are you aware of? Like how much of your divinity can you access? And if you've you know spent your your attention focusing on the material world, which you know already isn't real, then you're not accessing most of that uh, sort of personal power that you that you have but you're just not getting and uh, just coming back to um, to telepathy you know and yeah. do you think you know having uh, having like lots of power does it help um um you know you know communicate with uh with others is it easier for if you have more more power well let's say it's correlated because i think um when you have focus when you can maintain awareness and not be distracted by thoughts, um, that's beneficial for using your power and it's beneficial for telepathy. Um, so when your mind is chattering, when you get, let's say you get a piece of telepathic information from somebody, uh, a lot of beginners will start interpreting it based on their thoughts right away. They'll try to place it within a context. And the thing you have to do is you have to separate the information with the interpretation. So you need to just become a really good reporter. Here's the information I'm getting. Here's what I'm feeling, sensing, hearing, seeing, whatever. And that's just the data. That's the raw data that you've received. But most people are 
overlaying their perception of reality on top of the information immediately. And so it becomes hard to uh, to split apart what what is your your thoughts or even your imagination versus the actual information. So that's why, again, validation is important. You can be like, oh, I actually did get that, um, but then I thought it was something else. So an example was <clears throat> I was practicing with my son. He's six years old, and we were standing in two rooms next to each other, sort of talking back and forth. I'm like, hey, I'm holding this object. What is it? And he would sort of say, oh, it's kind of, um, it's kind of boxy, it's brown. I think it's a cardboard box. And it was actually maybe, um, you know, a book or something. Okay, well, you got the, you got the rectangle shape, you got the hardness of it, but you thought it was gonna be a box because it could open. Um, or he uh, was, yeah. he was, he had like a little toy magic wand um, that, he, that he was holding. And I was like, it's round, it's long, it's a cylinder it's probably a toilet paper roll or a, a paper towel roll. And he said, no, it's a magic wand. So I had the, the shape and the length and everything, right? But I interpreted it as something that I knew existed. So you get into these little, uh, you, take the, you take the next logical step, but that's, that's actually going a little bit too far. Um, yeah, you just wanna get as much information as you can. And then, then you can go and check and see how much of it actually matches. Yeah, I think, as you said, then you probably you have the raw data, but then really kind of then put the pieces together to really get the, the right thing. That's then the, the hard part about it. But at least you have the, 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 the rough shape. Yeah, and, and that, that's already great. That's amazing. And you're practicing with your son. Wow. Yeah, so, so remote viewing... Um experiments there's quite a lot of these um which is when so it started off in the started using it in the military they basically proved telepathy with submarines at first they were, uh, couldn't communicate with deep sea submarines using any electromagnetic uh spectrum so they realized telepathy was the best communication and then they realized oh we can we can view remote targets like military bases and secret files and um, even archaeological sites, shipwrecks, all these things. Um, and I can't even remember where I was going with this, but but basically you'll have someone, you'll give them coordinates. Oh, if you want to, if you want to do it scientifically, um, you make everyone blind. So you make the viewer blind, you make the person who is analyzing the data blind. So you might have a bunch of envelopes with different targets, like, okay, here's the Eiffel Tower in Paris, France. Here's a military base in Baghdad. Here's um, Mount Everest, different locations, right? And you just tell them the coordinates. So the viewer doesn't know the coordinates and then they report what it is. Okay, it's this pointy tower. It seems to be metal. Um, there's a lot of people around, <clears throat> whatever. <clears throat> and then you give that information to the person analyzing it and they, mm -hmm. they don't know what the target is either. And they don't know the viewer either. So you keep everything separate. And that's how you have really clean data uh, basically to scientifically prove remote viewing, scientifically prove telepathy. But if you, if you do remote viewing or, you know, then you, 
Ah, yeah, in a way, I already gave my, uh, the answer myself because my question would have been, you know, what you were doing with your son. Are you connecting with, uh, you know, teleporting with your son or are you really connecting with the thing he's holding and, um, and trying to communicate with, uh, with the thing and to get this uh, shape and information from there? Right, so they're super similar. Um, so I would say telepathy, and we put these labels on, right? Just to, it's the same thing, really. It's non-local awareness, like accessing information that's not in your body, that's not local to, to your physical body. But if he was sending information to me, like if he was holding in his awareness, like I am holding this magic wand and he was like intentionally sending it to me and that's what I picked up then that's telepathy. But if, if I was just like, okay, let me just go see what he's doing right now. He's playing with Legos. Okay. That's remote viewing because he's not intentionally sending any information to me, but I'm just kind of viewing the scene. Exactly. You know, because I was, I was um, doing like a game with my daughter and then, uh, at the time she was 10 and we had like a hu huge cube. And then uh, we were kind of, she was playing with the cube and then uh, it was behind her back. So it wasn't in a different room, but I think it doesn't matter. And then there we had two, two games. Yeah, either I looked at the, at, the, at the cube and then sent her the information like telepathy. And then this, most of the time, this one really worked out. Yeah. And then the other thing was she connected with the cube and, and tried to see, you know, the, the numbers on the cube where they were on top. Yeah. And uh, so then we were practicing the, this kind of, uh, it was a fun game, yeah. <laughs> and you kind of touched on a third uh, label, third term here, which would be like telekinesis or psychokinesis. And so what your daughter was doing was connecting with the object itself, the consciousness unit that is the physical object. And so when people are, you know, spinning a propeller, right? You put a little propeller in a vacuum and you can spin it with your attention. Um, the, the trick seems to be, um, connecting with the consciousness, linking with the consciousness of the propeller and basically seeing yourself spinning and sort of asking, you know, uh, asking permission to connect with the, with the thing. And then again, if you, if you get into the overthinking, it doesn't spin, but if you're just seeing yourself as the propeller and you're seeing yourself spin, then the propeller will spin. And this has been demonstrated whether you're in the room or entirely across the world. Uh, people can get these these devices to spin, which is amazing. Well, yeah, it's really it's always fascinating, and and she's always you know so proud when it works, right? It's uh, it it gives such a great feeling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can do that. Superpower. <laughs> And actually it is, you know? and uh, yeah, that kind of brings us also back to the beginning because uh, when we spoke about telepathy and your course and you say everybody can use this uh, superpower. And do you think, you know, the more and more people are practicing uh, telepathy, it's, it will be kind of, do we still then need uh, like emails and, uh, and WhatsApp chats or, can, you know, the future is we're really just kind of communicating on telepathy? Well, I think it will be because you lose so much when you translate. If I'm trying to communicate my experience to you and I can only use English, then I'm leaving out so much richness of my experience. I'm leaving out you know, like my sensory experience, my emotional experience, my, uh, my inner monologue or dialogue. And so you can, with telepathy, you can kind of just like 
boom, here's the whole experience of me in this moment. And then you write back, here's my experience of, of this right now. And it's, so it's much, much richer communication. So I think, yeah, if, if people become fluent, then it will, one thing it'll do is it'll help us all understand each other because there's so much emotional intelligence, empathy involved in deeply understanding someone else's experience. Um, yeah, it'll, it'll be great for humanity. Yes, I think it's, as you, as you pointed out, then you really can't get the whole, you know, the, you can even get the emotions and, and everything. And that will be re really like, it's then not 3D, it's probably then 5D, yeah, what you can experience, yeah. And, 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 and you get it kind of direct. But um, well, um, what I, I want you to know, especially also with, with um, uh, now I lost my thread, but I think it was more that when you use then uh, telepathy, isn't it, uh, ah, now I got it. In a way, what I realized with the normal communication, as you pointed out, it's always kind of an interpretation, yeah. And you think with telepathy, then there will, you know, there is no room for interpretation anymore because it's so clear. Yeah, you know, um, it was like I only have important conversations in person because if you try to do them via text or email, there's so much that can get lost and, and people can get angry because they they read it a different way than you sent it or any of that. So it's better just to sit down with somebody, right? Because that's the, that's as rich as you can get right now. But if mm -hmm. you sit down with them and you're doing telepathy, that's even more information rich. So yeah, I think it will uh, you know, sort of prevent miscommunication. Uh, that's, that's, I think it's so important because many things probably just appear because they were misinterpreted. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, me inclusive. Yeah. So, you know, we have been talking now about so many other things, but also telepathy. <clears throat> One question I would like to ask you. So how did uh, using telepathy change your life? What was the, the impact? Um, is there something different? Uh, doing, are you doing things differently or perceiving information differently? Well, one recent example would be that after I started, especially doing this course, like I'm, I'm practicing it more regularly, animals will come up to me and communicate with me. They will seek me out because they know, they sense somehow that I am open to receiving them. So they'll just come up and stare at me like I'm communicating with you. And a lot of times I'm so dense that I can't, that I don't get it. Or I get a little bit like they're asking me to do some elaborate thing to help them out. And I'm like, I, I'm sorry, like I can maybe feed you or give you pets or something, but it's like, they're asking me, they're asking me <laughs> oh, to, uh, you know, like this, this one, I was staying with my in-laws, my brother and sister-in-law, and they have a dog. They're the third keepers of this animal. He was born on a farm. He went to this guy who now was divorced and then passed on to him. And they're looking for a fourth home. So this animal is experiencing a lot of uncertainty about who he's going to be with. And he sort of bonded with the last person, but now he's not able to be there. And so he's been running away. He's kind of, you know, it's a big problem because he keeps escaping. Um, but it's because he's trying to find his place. So he'll actually escape and run to a horse farm because he was born on a farm and he, he finds it familiar to be with this horse. And, and so I was just trying to get 
understanding of, of what this dog wanted. And I basically, you know, was just telling him out loud with spoken word, uh, here's the situation uh, here, you, you know, like you're probably not going to be staying here, but they're going to take care of you until they find the right placement, but please don't run away because that's really hard for them. And then he basically stopped running away. Um, but he was, he was wanting me to help figure out his whole life situation, which is, you know, so, so a dog is like, Oh, this person can help me. And they come right up and they start chatting with me. Um, but I can't always, I can't always help or I can't always understand. Wow. But this is an amazing story. Yeah. They just wanted to somebody to communicate with them and, uh, and uh, wow. Yeah. I think it's so helpful if you really, you know, of course you can't all the time, but sometimes it's probably, it's really important for them that uh, somebody stops and um, take their message on. Yeah. Because they probably try to communicate to their, you know, owners and they just don't get it. Right. <laughs> because they're not paying attention. So you kind of, a uh, um, um, translator for them yeah and and my uh my collaborator my co-teacher of this course she she's um she's based in Denmark and she's been teaching this for 25 years she's kind of world famous like the Denmark National Zoo calls her in or the Olympic horse uh, you know show jumping she works with the riders and their horses um she works on a lot of tv shows with the animal actors and so she's much more proficient. Like she can just do it super easily. So it's cool to uh, to be working with a, with a real master. And she basically had to learn it from her nonverbal autistic son, who who couldn't speak, and she and he was also blind. And so basically, she learned from him, and and they were sort of teaching each other as he grew up. So he can now see, even though he shouldn't be able to because he's using his second sight. Uh, he's able to speak because she was able to give him feedback to learn to speak, even though he didn't have that verbal ability uh, for a long time. So there's a lot, there's a lot to learn from, from our nonverbal companions, dogs and nonverbal humans uh, to, to access this ability. Wow. Wow. That, that's really impressive. Yeah. So, so once in the, in the workshop and uh, when she was like, just looking at the picture of a, a dog and she could kind of, uh, already you know tell whether what's the problem and uh, didn't even have to, to talk to the or see the dog right so that was really fa fascinating she's really a great gift there yeah? but as you said she already you know took it took some time to develop it uh, to up to that state yeah and so it's, it's like learning a language right so you also have to practice and, and and kind of use it so that brings me kind of uh, back to the question so how did you learn telepathy well, it was so funny. My, um, we're seven, seven years ago, I met my wife and we were talking about what, what our sort of worldviews were like when we met each other. And seven years ago, it was actually eight years ago, I guess I had a really interesting experience with a, a magical tree. This is one of these ancient beings. Uh, the tree itself was 800 years old deep in the jungles of Bali. And uh, I put my hands on the tree and I had a sort of a telepathic astral projection experience where the tree sort of took my consciousness and transported it to another part of the world to show me this environmental disaster, which is where the Gobi Desert 
is sort of sands are flooding into the forest. The forest is dying. The desert is expanding. It's just turning into this big wasteland because we're not paying attention to the earth. We're not paying attention to the, the natural world, you know, mother, mother Gaia. And so it was kind of, this tree was giving me a mission. Uh, the, the mission was related to just getting people back out into nature to, to, to be more present with nature and the elements but I took took it a little bit different, you know. I, I I did that. I did my my mission, but I also started investigating how did a, how did a tree do telepathy with me? How did a tree transport my consciousness or, or project my consciousness? Um, how does this all work? So that's uh, when I really started digging into research because before that, I would say that I was a materialist because I was trained as a as a microbiologist, as a virologist, and like so many people, the textbooks say, uh, you know, here's the Newtonian Cartesian model of the world. And I was like, yep, that sounds, sounds right. That's what I observe. Um, but there's so much more to it. And it does take a little bit of digging, a bit of unlearning to, to really understand the full picture. Okay. So this experience kind of made you, first of all, you experienced that it's possible. And then you, you kind of uh, figured out, how did it happen? And then like the third step would have been the, how can I use it? Was this kind of the process or? Yeah, I, you know, the the point is not the dramatic, uh, the point is not telepathy or levitation or teleportation or any of that stuff. That's kind of a byproduct of awareness, but it's also a very exciting, you know, in marketing, you, you say, okay, here's this dramatic thing, like uh, Tony Robbins, right? He has people walk across fire in his uh, things. And this is very dramatic. Like people go and talk, like I walked across fire and then, you know, that's a dramatic demonstration of what's possible. And so superpowers serve that purpose in a way. They're kind of this flashy thing, like, hey, if you expand your awareness, you can, you can levitate. Oh, cool. But that's just kind of a, a byproduct. That's not the, that's not the point of it all. Um, the point is like realizing how connected we are and, and, you know, understanding the, the nature of the universe and, and, and our role within it. But, um, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's kind of, you know, I've had a lot of remarkable experiences that helped me along the path. As soon as I said, yeah, I want to learn this stuff as I'm open to it. I've had so many amazing mentors, including you, including, you know, conversations, with like our last conversation, we were talking about what is the nature of energy? And I think I have something to add to that now, but yeah, Ooh. I've, I've, um, at this point I've done 67 different, um, healing modalities or metaphysical practices. My goal is to get to a hundred and just really experiences. So from, from Tai Chi to Qigong, to breath work, to psychedelics, to dream work, to, um, plant medicine, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. I like to try it all. I like to experiment with it all and see what works. Um, because I also, I also want to help people. Right. So I'm, so I'm, um, saying, okay, you're going to, I have a lot of business clients. So I'm like assigning them, you know, you're going to learn this practice and it's going to help you, or here's how we're going to grow your business by doing this other practice. Um, so really just applying everything that, that I'm learning. Okay, so a couple of questions to, to this one, yeah. So 
you know, for, for like uh, you're saying you're trying to learn all these mod modalities, you know, you're learning them or kind of um, testing them or that somebody does it on you? Yeah, some of them I just do like one one experience just to see what it's like. And some of them I will incorporate into my daily practice. So dream work, lucid dreaming and dream interpretation and using dream time as a means to get things done, like to make major decisions or to have creative inspiration or to find customers or whatever it may be. Uh, I use dream time every night. So that's, that's one of the cornerstones. I, um, I'm doing breath work and meditation, some form of meditation almost every day for, for a business launch. Uh, I'm making a grid. I'm making a physical crystal grid to lock in the consciousness of that new business venture. So some of these have become a practice and some of them, it's like, it's great that I've learned them, but I, I don't know if I'll go back and use them again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I see the same. And I, and you know, my, my experience is that there is no one energy work because there are, you know, there's so, you know, probably thousand different possibilities. So you can achieve the same result. And, and, um, and you can use uh, different uh, techniques. And I think for most of our uh, energy workers, it's, it's what, you, what you experience. You know, most of us, they are so curious. You always try to learn new things and experiencing. And then uh, whatever fits for you, you incorporate in, in your own techniques. You improve them and, and, and use them. And then it's just your special way and that's uh, what i think is so important to know there is no one way but everybody has her or his own way to to use it and uh, that's so special about it and that's what i so love about uh, energy work because uh, yeah it's it's very unique and individual yeah you're making me think of um you know so i i used to be a professional cyclist and a lot of the you know, before I got into this work, I was optimizing the physical performance side of things, how to train, how to eat, how to recover properly, how to get stronger, all of these things. So, so I had a, a performance mindset. And so one of the early experiments I did was how, how I could use Reiki in order to improve sports performance. So I did this, uh, basically, I was doing Reiki on myself before and after every workout for a month. And I was tracking uh, my performance gains just as like a personal experiment, right? So I'm always running these personal experiments. Um, the result was basically, I didn't notice any um, sort of measurable output gains. Like I wasn't that out any more than expected, but my recovery, my sleep was much better my uh, rest and recovery seemed to go a lot more smoothly. And so mm -hmm. that's something I wouldn't have known necessarily without running the experiment. And, but it's, it's not really, cause I have pretty good sleep anyway. So it's like, if I ever need to make sure I have good sleep, then I'll do that. But I, it's not super practical for me. So I like have this thing I could use, but I don't. Okay. I see the point, but in a way you're encouraging that uh, really, you know, listen people listening to the to this podcast that they kind of really experiment a little bit on their on their uh, you know on their own figure out yeah does it good does it do me any good does it increase my productivity or you know do i achieve the results i want to achieve 
And if it doesn't, maybe it was just not the right technique. It doesn't say that the energy work doesn't work, but then you you know there are like thousand other possibilities uh, you can try out, and then one of or two of them they may lead you to to achieve your results. Yeah. Yeah, and some are so dramatic, and some are very subtle, right? It's like mm -hmm. you really have to. Uh, to, to be able to notice the subtle differences, like you have to be paying attention. Uh, you have to be sometimes journaling, keeping like a laboratory notebook like I do. Um, so this one recently, uh, this, this guy I interviewed, he, he had invented this device, which is basically a um, scalar energy-based device, which is like the prior to electromagnetism. There's scalar, that's what he, what he calls it. But it's basically a way of... Um, using a physical device connected with consciousness to impact the material world. So he can basically dematerialize things and materialize things. Um, so he can dematerialize wow. HIV. For example, he's cured 4,000 people in a study in India of HIV in essentially overnight, completely removed the virus from their system. Cause he, cause he deconstructed it back to its atomic elements, you know, carbon, oxygen, whatever. And he can materialize things like vitamins and hormones to keep your body in balance. So I just tested out his technology in the last few weeks and it was so subtle, but it was like every single day, I was like, this was a really good day. Everything went right today. And if I wasn't paying attention, I would just think, wow, that's, I feel great. But during the 15 day trial, I can note, I can note the difference, right? It's like the difference between hundred percent of hundred percent of things going right and 95% of things going right. But when you have a string of days where everything goes right for many days in a row, it's like, wow. Oh, is this, is this that thing, but it's super subtle, um, in a lot of ways. Wow. This is amazing. So, so you, you, you're planning on continuing. Um, Yeah, I may, I may, um, there's, there's no, like I did, there was no particular result I got from it, but, but yeah, everything, everything go your way. feels amazing. So it could be worth, uh, so you have to, you have to pay for a subscription, right. To, to keep going using his, uh, device. Okay. Um, I'm definitely gonna check it out. Yeah. So I just, you know, we spoke so, it was about so many things, but also, you know, the goal was uh, telepathy, but it was amazing. So if people want to know more about or learn it, you know, is there an, an, a new course in the pipeline that they can sign up or what are your plans for this? Yeah, we'll be teaching the second round of this course. So we deliver it live. So there's live training with Dita and I, that'll be in March and April of 23. So but you can go and sign up now before the price goes up. And um, yeah, all 28 people in the course currently have experienced uh, telepathy, some, you know, dramatic, some um, bits in here and there, but that's, that's expected, right? As any skill, musical skill, athletic skill, the population is sort of this standard distribution of natural talent, right? But I'm not a talented athlete, but I became a pro athlete because I practiced at it a lot. So it's, it's one of these things like you can train wherever you start from, you can train your ability to, to be world-class um, in this. So, yeah. And then you mentioned my show, the Derek Loudermilk show, but basically you can find everything on my website, 
Com. Yeah, definitely. You know, link it. Um, put the links in 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 the show notes and and also the link to the to the course. And then uh, before we wrap up, I, I have one last question I always ask in, in, in my show. And this is, what gives you energy? What gives me energy? Lots of things give me energy. Um, two, you know, two, if, things, if two things that thing are coming up. A... Sorry? Two things that are coming to mind. Okay. Um, storytelling with, with my kids. We make up stories. And that that's always given me a lot of energy uh, acting and making up stories. But I think now that I'm saying it, I think there's a reason which uh, creativity is just sort of a form of channeling. Um, but it's creativity is a form of connecting you to source, right? It's, it's connecting you to your hierarchy of power, right? You're, uh, you're accessing more of your personal power. So anything creative, I think would give a human energy. The other thing that I've been doing a lot recently is just standing barefoot, uh, almost nude in the sun every day. And that seems to just give me, uh, you know, I would naturally be in the sun from playing sports outside, but having it as a practice where I'm really, I'm acknowledging the sun, I'm acknowledging the wind, the air, the earth, the elements, and just really being connected, bare feet on the ground, grounding full sun, uh, every day is, has been really amazing for me. Well, that sounds very powerful. Yeah, I always try to connect to the sun uh, every every day because I think it's not only like a power being used in photovoltaics to produce electric energy, but <laughs> we can also, you know, increase and expand our own energy. And that's why I really, I think it's, it's very powerful. But thank you very much for sharing. Yeah, that definitely... Um, test it uh, out so I was just when you started the, you stand barefooted I was expecting now you're saying in the snow or something like this <laughs> if it but, has uh, to be in the snow then it then it will but this morning right it was uh, it was about freezing outside so it gets harder in the winter for sure okay so um you're not in like uh, California or Bali so it there are some seasons that there's some cold uh, in your place as well right <laughs> just to make sure nobody has an excuse right yeah and i i do the wim hof thing you know i take cold showers so yeah. if you're used to taking cold showers then standing out in the snow is really no big deal yes um i'm taking cold showers as well i think uh, it's it's very it's not only refreshing you really get kind of this energy boost right in the morning yeah and then you're really awake yeah <laughs> <laughs> And then, yeah, then you're just, you know, ready for the day. I think it's always very, very powerful, yeah. So thank you, Derek, for all your time and also, you know, for sharing your insights. It was so much fun talking to you. Could, you know, continue for hours, but you have other business to do. You, I, I know you have to learn new skills and modalities and travel other countries. So there are so many things on your bucket list, right? <laughs> so... I will keep you from there and I really appreciate the, the, our interview. And um, yeah, then um, put all the links in, in the show notes and um, people can reach out to you when uh, they, they're interested in the telepathy course. I can only recommend it. It's really fascinating. Great. Cornelia, always a pleasure to spend time with you. Good to see you. Yeah, see you soon, right? <laughs> all right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.